Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. Chapter 24. And stand with me, we're going to read a few verses together today. I hope you follow along with me as I, as I read Matthew chapter 24. We're going to start at verse 1. And if you're not, you don't have a, a Bible with you today but would like one, uh, just raise a hand and Mr. Wright here will be glad to uh, give you one. If you don't have one of your own, just keep it. It's considered a gift from Cornerstone Church. Let's read Matthew chapter 24. Verse 1 says, as Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings, but he responded, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives and his disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return in the end of the world? Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yet, Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. Uh, but all of this is only the first of the birth pains, and more, with more to come. Verse 9, then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. Pray with me. Father, I just thank you for your word, for Jesus' words, the word that changes us and, and just makes us who you want us to be. Lord, I pray this morning that as we hear your words, that it would uh, produce a, a, a significant change, a measurable change in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. So we're here moving through the, the New Testament. We're in the very first book of the New Testament uh, the book of Matthew, it is one of four accounts of the gospel. Remember a few weeks ago I preached there is are four accounts but only one gospel and Matthew's is the first. Uh, and as I've been saying each week, is there, if there was any uh, disciple that, that is, was truly changed, I would, I would cast my vote for Matthew, just knowing who he was and who, how Jesus changed him and how he died and the things he did. It's just amazing uh, the change that... Uh, God made in his life. And so as we move through the book of Matthew, and there were many, are many ways we could have moved through it, I chose to uh, move through the book of Matthew by examining the five major discourses uh, of Jesus uh, in this book. The first one in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, chapters 5 through 7, we learned how to start a truly changed life. And we learn that it starts with changing our attitude, first and foremost, seeing and believing that we have a need for God. We are poor in spirit, and without Him, we do not have the internal resources to make any uh, changes. And then we learn how to share that, those, truly, uh, uh, those true changes God has made in our life. We learn that the source of those true changes is God's Word, Okay, this word goes inside of us and changes us in ways we cannot. Last week, 
I looked at, um, in Matthew chapter 18, the signs of a truly changed life. How do we know, or what indicators would, would give us confidence that we have been changed, that we've experienced the change as a result of our faith? And so today, as we wrap up this, this series with the fifth and final uh, discourse uh, in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, we learn how to sustain a truly changed life. And so we just began reading in Matthew chapter uh, 24, and as I was making notes and just kind of meditating on this, this uh, discourse, both in tw- Matthew 24 and 25, I, I thought, you know, in light of the fighting, in light of the greed hate, and hatred uh, between people groups, the ever-increasing amount of liars, not to mention the abject poverty experienced by a large portion of the world, and and just the devastation that's related to natural disasters, all these things that Jesus talks about here in Matthew chapter 24. How does anyone continue to have hope in the second coming of Christ? Or how does anyone even continue to sustain the changes that God has made in their lives? I mean, when we consider the amount of suffering and evil in the world, it's, it's hard to resist feeling overwhelmed with sadness, I experienced that a little bit this week as I started looking around. I was on vacation. And I just started looking around and just looking at the types of businesses and the, just, a, the, just the amount of, of sin and selfishness uh, around me. It's, it's hard to resist feeling over, overwhelmed with the, just a, a sadness about all this. And these circumstances, along with others just like them, are enough to make many good men and women want to give up, want to pack it in. Jesus said that these times will make the love of many people grow cold. Love for God, love for others will fade in their hearts and in a desperate grasp for hope, many will reach out to Messiahs to save them, whether it be politicians, celebrity pastors, self-help gurus, doctors, or even the makers of of, uh, products that inspire them, a la Steve Jobs. And this is one of our natural tendencies, the tendency to look to others, even to nature, to save us when we feel overwhelmed or to give us, give us hope. But Jesus says in verse 23 of this chapter, don't believe in these messiahs. Don't be deceived. Don't let anyone mislead you. They're not going to help you. Our, another, our other natural tendency is to do just about anything it takes to stay alive. Even betray those closest to us. In verse 10, Jesus mentions that in, in the last days, many people will, will betray and hate one another. The overwhelming amount of sin and selfishness in the world can make us forget who loves us and who really matters to us. And so as the, as the love in a person's heart grows cold, we naturally default to a mode of living that is dysfunctional, based on deception, and leads to destruction. In so light of these things, how is it that anyone can endure to the end? Look back at verse 13. Do you see Jesus says that? But the one who endures to the end will be, will, will be saved. And that, to me, speaks of, of a sustaining. So how is, anyone, how is it that anyone can sustain a truly changed life in face of such blatant sinfulness and selfishness as the day of the Lord approaches? And as I study Jesus' fifth and final major discourse in the book of Matthew, I began to realize that this is exactly where the disciples were. This is exactly what they were feeling I mean, just take a look at this. Their lives had been changed. 
they, they were feeling kind of cheerful. As you go back into verses 1 and 2, you see them, they're leaving the, the temple grounds, his disciples being in a good mood. They, they even point out, look at these awesome buildings. Look at these these, this magnificent temple, and I'm sure they kind of mentioned the walls that they were near, and just look at all these, these beautiful buildings in this, in this beautiful city. But Jesus, being aware of what was coming in the near future, for them maybe 40-ish years away, depending on how you, you count the timeline, in the near future, 70 AD, Jesus knew that the Romans were going to come and destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple. And in the far future, speaking of his second coming and the destruction that would be associated uh, with that. And so he crushes their cheery mood and he prophesies about this in verse 2. Do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. And then we go to verse 3, but we don't realize, it just says later, okay? But we don't realize that Later was probably 20 to 25 minutes as the disciples and Jesus made their way from the temple grounds, about 2.2 miles, depending on the path you take, to get up to the top of the Mount of Olives. And there they are, looking down on the city, looking down on the temple. And they come to Jesus. And they ask for clarification about what he meant. Talk to us further about this. And so as we read, continue reading through 24 and into 25, Jesus continues to expound on his initial statement um, and show us how, and in the process shows us how to sustain a truly changed life, even as we face the dysfunction, deception, and destruction of a fallen world. Now, time does not permit me this morning to adequately address everything that Jesus says, especially in verse 24. And so the focus, what I felt as I looked at this, given uh, a, a very a limited amount of time, I thought, you know what, let's focus on what's most relevant to us today. And that's going to come up in verse chapter 25. We're going to start with verse 1, because in chapter 25, Jesus shares with us three stories that illustrate for us how we can sustain a truly changed life in this fallen world, both in the near future and into the far future, depending on how long uh, the Lord waits before coming again. So let's look at verses, uh, chapter 25, verse 1. Okay, this is the first story. It's the parable of the ten bridesmaids. Look at that with me here. Let's read. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough. They didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. Why? Because there was a chance that the bridegroom would be delayed. So when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. How many of you know, like at weddings, if you're a guest at a wedding, you know, you have the wedding, and then there's like this gap of anywhere from 30 minutes to two hours before the actual reception starts? I hate that. I do. When I, when I, I feel like taking a jog. I'll be back when the food is on. You know what I mean? It's like, let's, let's, so I can't remember how Jamie and I did. I think we did our pictures beforehand, just being like time conscious of, of all that. But if you're planning a wedding and you expect me to come, you better shorten that gap. No, I'm teasing. I'm kind of not teasing, but I am. So at midnight, verse 6, they were roused by the shout, look at the bride, look, the bridegroom is coming, come out and meet him. 
All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, the wise ones, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. And so the very first thing that will help us sustain the true changes that God makes in our lives, I say, is stay filled with the Holy Spirit. Stay filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, oil in Scripture is often as a symbol or a type of the Holy Spirit. When a new king was made king, they would anoint him with oil and it would like run down him, okay? Or a, a, a priest, they would run down them. And it was a symbol of, of the Holy Spirit's influence on their life, that, that it was a, an outward picture of something that was supposed to be happening and on the inside, right? And so when we come to know the Lord and, and he begins to change us and we get into scriptures and we, and we see, man, I'm, I'm a lot more gentle with my children or, you know, my work ethic has improved. I'm a lot more diligent. I'm on time or, you know, I, man, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot kinder. I'm more polite. You know, I pull up to a four-way stop and instead of like trying to race the other guy across, I let them go, okay, <laughs> you know, um, Someone mentioned to me the other day, because they moved here, and they said, Parker people are crazy. They, they are very like, I'm first to it. It's much like a race to get through those, those stop signs. Um, but you know, when the Spirit of God changes us, we start to change some of that. We're not so concerned about being first through, right? We're more apt to let people go. But keeping those changes, moving forward in the ever-increasing quantity, okay, depends on having enough of the Holy Spirit's influence on our lives. You know, we, we oftentimes think that, you know, if I come to service on Sunday and I worship, or I spend that, that time yesterday, I spent time, you know, like we think, oh, I spent some time with the Lord the, the other day, that's enough. You know, we tend to start running low. It's like our phones, you know, by the end of the day, and these batteries on these iPhones are pretty sweet, right? They last quite a long time if you fully charge them. But after a day or two or three, they click over and say low power mode. And eventually, if you don't recharge them, they just shut down, right? And you, they're useless at that point. And I think, you know, we are much the same. We are much the same. When, if you're not spending time in God's presence, if you're not reading the word, if you're not inviting the Holy Spirit to come and influence the way you think, the way you feel, the, way, the things you want, eventually that time you had on Sunday or that time you had in Bible study, that time, it's, it's going to run out and you're going to find yourselves defaulting into some old ways, into some dysfunction. You're going to start defaulting and start believing some of these lies because the truth is not permeating your minds. It's going to fade somewhat from your memory. It's, you're going to find yourself succumbing to some of this devastation and eventually the changes that God makes in your life, it's like you're back to square one. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And so I, I look here. Jesus is talking about 
he's saying, listen, there's two types of people here. He says some were wise and some were foolish. And the difference between the two is the wise had enough. They had enough. And I, that when I read that, I thought, do I have enough of the Holy Spirit's influence in my life? I, when I read scriptures uh, like in Ephesians 4.23, Paul writes, the Apostle Paul, he says, Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He says in chapter 5, verse 18, be filled as being constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit continually influence you. Let Him just continually influence you. For me, that's like a daily thing. I, one of the, the prayers I pray daily, it, it takes different forms, but it's like, and even several times throughout the day, it's, Lord, I, I need your help. When I start thinking things I ought not to think or feeling things I ought not to feel or wanting things I, I know I, I don't need to want, I'm saying, Holy Spirit, come and help me. God, help me. Help me to think, feel, and want what you do. How many of you pray that prayer? Yeah, Absolutely. So the first thing I say, if we're going to sustain the the true changes that God makes in our lives, then we need to continually have His influence, the Holy Spirit's influence working in our hearts. Let's look at the second one. This comes in the second story, the parable of the three servants. Again, the kingdom of heaven, and and if you've noticed uh, throughout these discourses, Jesus mentions the kingdom of heaven several times, and I equate that with Living under the jurisdiction, God's jurisdiction, okay? Living under his influence, ordering your life according to his words, how you relate to people. You're relating to them in ways that he approves of and are beneficial to others. And so that's why I say this is the product of a truly changed life. When you are truly changed, when you're living in the kingdom of heaven, you are going to relate to people as God uh, prescribed. So he says, again, the kingdom of heaven, this is how things function here. He says, can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and trusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two to another, one bag to the last, dividing up in proportion to their abilities. Then he left on his trip. The servant who received five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags went to work, earned two more. The servant who received the one bag dug a hole in the ground and hid it. Uh, verse 19, after a long time, their master returned from his trip, called them to give account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags came forward with five more, uh, and the master was full of praise. Verse 21, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Servant had, who had two bags, much the same. Go to verse 24. Then the servant with the one bag came of silver came forward and said master i knew you were a harsh man harvesting crops where uh, you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate i was afraid i would lose your money so i hid it in the earth look here's your money back but the master replied you wicked and lazy servant if you knew i harvested crops i didn't plant and gather crops i didn't cultivate why didn't you deposit my money in the bank at least i could have gotten some interest on it then he ordered take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags to those who use well To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The second thing, I believe 
helps us sustain the true changes that God makes in our life, both in the near future and in the far future. Remember where the disciples were and the things that Jesus just told them, how he crushed their mood, right? The second thing he tells them and tells us today is use what you have well. Look at verse, um, where is that? Verse 29. Look at verse 29. To those who use well, what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance, okay? And so we see very simply using what you have well leads to an abundance, but doing nothing, it, Jesus, the, the person in the story, the, the, the master in the story says they are useless. And so I look and I think about this. Our natural tendency, especially when we are faced with the overwhelming amount of dysfunction, the overwhelming amount of deception and, and destruction in our world, and that we start feeling that sadness, we naturally tend to think, what's the point? What is the point of even trying hard? Because the first, you know, there's so many people, it's like they, they, they try, they use what God has given them, whether it be money or finances or talents our skills, opportunities, whatever God gives them, they begin to use it well and it just seems like something bad happens. And then they get totally discouraged, right? And in our natural tendency is to just give up. Why even try? Especially in light of all these nasty things and sad things that are happening. And yet we see here in this story that God gives no excuse to hiding it, to sitting on it. He says, invest it, work hard, cultivate it, develop what I have given you. Even though all this dysfunction, all of the, these deception, these lies are around you, even though there's destruction, he's still concerned with people gaining and using what they, he has given them well. And so I, I thought about this, and I, th- I pictured a... a a tree. You know, we have, I was driving through the, the mountains this week uh, on vacation. And, and if you've done the same, just driving through, you'll notice that there are trees growing in places they ought not to be growing. <laughs> have you ever noticed that? I mean, like on the side of a cliff, there's a tree coming out. And you're like, how in the world is that tree thriving there? It's got green leaves. It's, it's alive. And it's like on the edge of a cliff in the rock. And I, that was a picture uh, to me of, of, of some people in, in the attitude that God wants us to have in order to sustain the true changes despite fighting against entropy and fighting against sinfulness and fighting against the selfishness in our world. Nobody, that tree, when it, its seed floated down or was washed in by some, some water into that crack on the side of the cliff, that, that seed didn't ask itself, well, I wasn't, I wasn't born in a very good place. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't given much to work with. I might as well, like, just die. I might as well just stay a seed or... I don't know, just kind of wait it out, see if something washes me somewhere else, you know what I mean? And it doesn't think that. It thinks what? Grow now. The potential in that seed is lets loose and it starts pushing its way into the rock and makes a home for itself despite being in a very, very difficult set of circumstances. And I'm saying the same 
thing to you this morning is that, you know what, you couldn't control where you were born. And, you know, when God was passing out abilities and dividing things up, he gave you the ones that you have for a reason. And I know that sometimes we look and we think, I didn't get what they got, and I wish I had it. You know, I can't sing a lick. Like, I can't. You don't want to stand next to me up here when we worship. Okay? It might, well, it might drive you to your knees in prayer, but other than that, it's not going to do anybody any good, right? And, and I wasn't blessed with that, okay? I have other talents and, and skills that I'm trying my best to use, right? Other people are blessed with other gifts and skills. We all have it. And it's, it's, it's not about focusing on what you don't have as much as focusing on what you do have. And when God had you born where you were and given the, the talents, he, he doesn't expect you to sit there and go, okay, well, I wasn't born into it. I don't have a very good dad. I don't even have a dad. You know, I wasn't born into a, a family with a lot of resources. I don't go to a very good school. I don't have a lot. To, uh, you know, I just think I'll just kind of pack it in and wait for the Lord to come again. That is not an option. You notice that what Jesus says or what the, 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 the master in the parable says, he says, that person is useless. Throw them out. They didn't, so what if you're born in a bad place? Jesus was born in a bad place. Somebody said Nazareth? What good could come from Nazareth? Someone, I was listening to a scholar uh, talk about Nazareth. It wasn't even on the map. It wasn't even on the map. That's how tiny it was. Talk about being born in an obscure place to a poor family. Not a lot of resources. Maybe didn't even have formal schooling, right? And yet, look at the wonderful things that God did through his life. And he says the same thing to you. You might be the five-talent person. You might be the two-talent person. You might be the one-talent person. But wherever you are and whatever you have, you must use it well. Because out of that attitude, that growth-oriented, faithful, responsible attitude comes this drive to keep going and to keep becoming more than what you currently are. How many of you want to finish 2019 a little better than you started it? A lot better. I want to finish a lot better. I want to finish a lot better. And it's only going to happen if you use what you have well. That sort of attitude will sustain the changes that God has made and wants to make in your life, both in the near and the far future, despite the dysfunction, deception, and devastation that surrounds you. Let's look at the third and final one. Matthew chapter 25, uh, verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit upon His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in His presence and He will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at His right hand and the goats at His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply. I think they'll kind of look around at each other like, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did you ever see... 
When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And that's, that's like an exclamation point. I think he's just very emphatic about that. I don't think my reading did that quite justice. I imagine him just very, very excited saying that. Verse 41, then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. <clears throat> I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply and they will look around at each other and say, what? when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me and they will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous, those in right standing with God and others will go into eternal life. The third thing that sustains a true change in our life is a to remain willing to share with those who have less. Remain willing to share with those who have less. You know, in light of the dysfunction, the deception and devastation in our, in our world, it is only natural for us to just want to hunker down and take care of ourselves, right? Move out somewhere away from everybody, Start prepping for doomsday. There's a show on Netflix about that right now. Doomsday preppers, right? Jamie was wa watching that a few minutes the other day, and they're like, they're like building bunkers and getting ammunition like the zombie apocalypse is coming, you know? They've got, they've got food, and they've got ways to purify water, and they're just like, they're ready, right? And he's saying, you know what? Instead of prepping your doomsday bunker, prep your heart, Get your life right and you won't have to worry about this, okay? And so it, it is. It's only natural for us to just hunker down, especially with, when we've been hurt or if we suffer the consequences or we've been, we've been using what we have well. We've been having this great attitude, trying to press forward and then something comes in and sets us back and we get discouraged and we're thinking, oh, man, this is ridiculous. I'm just going to take care of myself. I'm not helping anybody else. They can help themselves. It's only natural to start feeling that. You know, look at, look at the things that Jesus mentions here. All throughout this story, I see poverty of different kinds. I see, um, look in verse 33. I see uh, a hunger. I see people thirsty. So I see uh, just as, uh, a poor, not even being able to feed, feed themselves. They're thirsty. They don't have clothing. Um, they move maybe to a new place. They don't know anybody. So there's a poverty in this critical relationships. Maybe they're, they're a, a widow or a widower or something happened where they just don't have these deep connections. So now they're strangers. They're sick. There's, there's a poverty in, in, in their health. Or they're in prison. They've made some very poor choices. And now they're suffering the consequences. It is only natural for us, okay? And I think this is where the goat, people down here at the bottom were. It's only natural for, for, to, look at, uh, to look at poor people and say, get a job. Work hard. That's what I'm doing. You know, why, why should I give? I'm working my butt off. Why in the world should I give you anything? Go get a job. 
Cut your hair, by the way. Right? Remember that old song? <laughs> Cut your hair and get a real job. Uh, it's, it's easy, natural, I should say, to look at people who are thirsty and say, don't live in the desert. Like, move to the Midwest. They have plenty of water. You know, don't live in the desert. You know, get, get some water. Uh, it's easy to look at people who don't have connections and, and tell them to, you know, just get involved in a small group. Just, just put yourself out there. It's easy to, it's easy to say that kind of cliche uh, type stuff. Mail, try being more friendly. Why don't you smile more? You know, maybe you'll have some friends. You know, that kind of stuff. What about people who are sick? Well, you should have taken better care of yourself. If you wouldn't eat McDonald's five times a week, you'd be just fine, right? Or in prison. That's probably the most uh, clear one, right? Well, you kind of deserve to be there, you know? You can say stuff like that, but does it lead people any closer to the heart of God? No, it doesn't. A lot of times, people already know what they need to do. And they don't need us, me, you, telling them to just make a change. Because if they could, they would. A lot of times, if they could, they would. Nobody who's genuinely hungry likes it. They would change it. No one who's genuinely thirsty likes it. Man, I woke up this morning. Have you ever? It's so dry here. Sometimes I, I wake up in the middle of the night and I like my, the back of my throat, that, that spot that like senses when you're thirsty. Like it is so, it hurts almost. That's how thirsty I am. Nobody who's genuinely thirsty wants to stay that way, Right? Nobody wants to walk around naked. I mean, some places in Europe they do, but I mean, nobody like in their right mind really wants to, right? Um, moving on. Okay. Nobody likes being sick. Anybody like being sick? Man, when I'm throwing up, my wife will attest to this. I sound like I'm dying. It hurts so bad. Nobody likes, nobody wants to be in prison, right? That's not a place you go on spring break, right? And so us telling them does not help them. What do they really need? They need someone to show them, tangibly show them the heart of God and give them a drink, meet their need in the present, and then maybe they'll open their heart to hear about the God who can change them in the, in the, in the inside. Because you know what? A lot of their poverty doesn't come necessarily just from their outside circumstances. It comes from their minds and how they think and the patterns of living that they're trapped in. And so us just coming to them and telling them what they already know or what we think they need to know isn't going to be the catalyst to change what they want to see and need to see. 
is us coming to them and, you know what, here's, here's some food or here's this, here's that. Let me help you. And as we're genuinely meeting those needs, then people's heart starts to open up and they start asking us about the changes that God has made and sustained in our own lives. How many of you know what I'm talking about today? You did not change. You did not become a mature believer because somebody came and told you all the bad things and wrong things you were doing. Nobody ever condemns you into the kingdom. The only way we come into the kingdom is through the compassion of God. And he's saying at the end, he's going to just separate people based on that. He's going to separate them based on those who, who showed compassion despite the dysfunction, despite the fact that, you know what? Yeah, it's only one meal and they'll probably be hungry again in a few hours. But that's not the point. The point is helping them right now and easing that hunger and easing that thirst and putting some clothes on their body and giving them a friend and giving them a hope when they're in prison to know that, you know what? You can be different. Even if you're still experiencing the consequences of poor choices, you, the God I serve, can change your life. Amen. And he can set you free on the inside. This is the type of attitude along with these other two, using what you have well and staying filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says these are the things that will sustain the true changes that God makes in your life, both in the near future, both as, the, as these disciples were going to face the destruction of the temple and destruction of Jerusalem, uh, the, the persecution, the betrayal, the hatred. These are the things that are going to sustain them. And for us, as we approach the second coming of Christ and all that that means, these are the types of attitudes that are in, in practices that are going to sustain us, that are going to allow us to continue to be that city on a hill that he talks about in his first discourse, to be that candle that lights up a whole room. How will the people living in dysfunction know what a proper functioning marriage looks like if we don't show them? If we hunger down and build ourselves the doomsday bunkers and live our lives like monks off to the side, how will they ever see what good marriages or good parenting or good any relationship looks like? But we cannot do it on our own. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to continue to have this attitude of, hey, wherever I'm at, with whatever God gives me, I'm going to use it to the best of my ability. And as I come across people that have less than me, even if I'm poor. If they have less than me, they're poorer, I'm going to share. I'm going to help. I'm going to try to meet a need as I can, right? Would you stand and, and pray with me this morning? Let's stand and pray. How many of you follow me this morning? Amen. Hallelujah. 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 If you're comfortable with this, just lift your hands however you like. One hand, two hands, it don't matter. Just as a symbol of opening up your heart, would you just, in your own way, under your breath, just ask God to just fill you with the Holy Spirit. Just ask God, come and influence my heart. Ask Him right now. Hallelujah. God, just influence our hearts today. 
as a people, here as a congregation in this community. Help us, Lord, to just have the fullness of you moving in our lives, in our thoughts, in our feelings and desires. Sustain the changes, increase the changes in our lives that we could be that light, that we could be that group of people that can help others come into right relationship with you and have right relationships in their home and at work and among their neighbors. Ah, just Holy Spirit, move in our lives. We cannot do it on our own. Help us today. Oh God, if we're feeling sorry for ourselves, and when we do, because it all it always happens from time to time, Lord, help us to remember not to compare ourselves to others, but to take what you have given and use it to the best of our abilities. Be like that tree on the side of the cliff. Lord, help us to thrive right where we're at with what we have. God, we just pray that you would help us keep an open heart, even despite the hurts that we experience, to to share with those around us, to encourage those around us, to be your hand extended, to do for the least and help the kingdom the most. In Jesus' name we pray. And now I pray a blessing over every family, every person here. God, that you would bless their coming and their going this week. God, that you would just... Lord, if they, they're making a decision this week, I pray that you would be right behind them, whispering in their ear, telling them, hey, you should go this way, do this, confirm it through their circumstances. For those who, who need direction, Lord God, I pray you would, would do that for them this week. For those who need a, a, a blessing and, and a, just a mighty miracle, God, I pray that you would show yourself powerful on their behalf today, God, that you would come and move and bring healing and, and, and bring that, that, that meet that financial need, Lord, or meet that relational need, whatever it is they need. I pray you would do that right now for them. In Jesus' name we pray and pronounce a blessing over this congregation. Amen. Amen. We thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.